Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Summer vacation, here we come. Yep, I packed the craft beers I got at Total Wine. Did you remember a bathing suit? No, but I did pack a bunch of summer wines. Whites, rosés, Zinfandels. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine and more. Dave Hanratty and there will be no encore. That is of course Fontaine's DC and their classic hit Born Slippy from the Train Spotting soundtrack that we're all very familiar with. Craig Fitzpatrick. <laughs> uh, it, it's aged well that one hasn't it? Oh my god it certainly has. Um, welcome back first of all. Nice choice of um, entrance music now. I, I presume that's going to follow you everywhere. I hope so. Uh, when places open back up, you will walk into the room accompanied by some gentlemen carrying boomboxes and this banging out. Well, let's give uh, let's give credit where it's due. This is a, a yes. genius creation from one Column <laughs> Callahan, who on Twitter you can get him at Column from Houseu. That's Houseu Records, which I believe are a Cork-based label, independent label. Houseu uh, Records If you want to check out their Bandcamp, they got tapes for sale. And also, uh, Column, who seems like a nice guy, uh, had his incredible Houseu orange bike stolen in the Dublin city centre area in the last few weeks. So if anyone sees this incredibly fluorescent neon orange bike with the word housey written on it that's been thieved and i think we should very get it back hipster. yeah very hipster but not that doesn't mean it should be stolen craig for fuck's sake no uh, no in fact you know those thieving people should probably leave it well alone you know it does not belong to them I, unless hipsters well, I, I feel like if, if, if they knew have we ruled they, out hipsters <laughs> never rule out hipsters i feel like they, if they knew what colin was uh was capable of uh, with his talent here you kind of caused this do you want to explain yeah, I brought this terrible beauty <laughs> onto the world. Um, so I, I'm not sure if I mentioned it in our Fontaine's DC album review, 
But every time I hear this song, Televised Minds, I immediately start going, it's whatever, the cadence of Green's vocal immediately puts me in mind of lag or lag or mega, mega white thing. Uh, it's just, it just happens. Uh, I put this out into the ether, i.e. Twitter, and call him <laughs> Judy Obliged by making my horrific nightmare reality. And it actually works really well. It's incredible. I, I really like it. I think I prepared this edition to this remix to both original versions. Yeah. And the reason that I guess it just came about is because Fontaines are back in the news to a degree. They dropped they, uh, are. they dropped a cover for Deezer, that famous platform that we all love. Um, Which is still going. A Beach Boys cover. And it's horrendous. Like, even like their own fans are like, lads, this is pathetic. <laughs> like, I mean, it's so lifeless. It seemed quite, yeah, it seemed quite phoned in. It's one of those ones where if it was on some like CD, you could probably get away with it and be like, oh, it's, you know, it's, um, it's hazy. It's kind of narcotic. It's like something Nick Cave would do in the 80s. But when you see the video of them performing it at home and like Green just kind of casually staring out the window every now and again, probably waiting on the kettle to boil, it seems a little phoned in. All right, yeah. He's, um, uh, I cancelled my subscription to Deezer. I'm glad, yeah, I'm happy. Uh, it's the only way that they'll, they'll listen and take some notice of this. Of course. He, uh, Green, though, in that video, he is sporting a fairly noticeable hickey on his neck. So fair play to him. He's living that rock star vibe. Um, I remember um, I remember a couple of years ago when into my old job with a hickey and it got noticed and it was a I remember terrible, that as well it was a terrible day but I, I don't have a, I don't have that job anymore and I don't have anyone giving me hickeys either so life has changed I've moved on uh, to a much better place I think we can all agree and this is the No Encore Music Podcast episode 235 on the Headstuff Podcast Network episode 234 dropped actually during the week it was another track by track episode yeah. following on from Pillow Queens the week before Alvaretti sat down with myself a little while ago we went through every single track on her debut album personal history that's in your podcast feeds now as is the pillow queens one if for any reason you've missed those i highly encourage you to go back and check them out it's been a lot of fun kind of doing this series i'm doing them when and where i can we have a couple more in the bank and next wednesday i can gladly tell you that denise chyla and Merley will be in conversation on no encore discussing debut mixtape go bravely that conversation was an awful lot of fun to put together and uh, thank you especially to our sonic architect Adam Shanahan who I am just hurling episodes at left right and center and he hasn't told me to fuck yeah, off yet Craig, which is amazing <laughs> like he's an incredible human being um no and it seems like just from some of the online uh reaction those episodes have been going down a treat and it's it's a really cool format so yeah it's nice to see that we've got a couple of those stockpiles should be fun yeah it's a lot of hard work but it's i, I think i think the the juice is worth the squeeze as they say and if you want to help us squeeze some juice <laughs> you can you can hit up patreon.com slash no encore if you'd like to help support this show as i've kind of noted uh during the week I can't even remember where I said it, man. This is how hazy my head is. I was just saying that, like, obviously, you know, blah, 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 tough year. But, like, with, with this show alone, I mean, like, we've recorded almost every episode, you and I and Adam, together remotely. I haven't seen you, Craig, yeah. in person since the fucking first week of March. And the reason I'm banging this drum... Choice music prize. Choice music prize, yeah. man. Uh, like, better days. But the reason I'm banging this drum is because, like... I feel like not only have we like survived, we've thrived. At the start of this year with No Encore, we had, you know, we were in the pub, remember pubs? And we were like, uh, we were like, I think the show needs a bit of a change of direction. It just needs some kind of light, light life to it. And I think we got that with the top five and we absolutely got that with Adam coming on board and helping us out. I don't know how we would have got through this year uh, without him. And I also like doing this every week remotely can be a bit of a challenge, but it's a challenge that I think we've risen to. And uh, if you love the show, like I say, please consider supporting us at, at patreon.com slash no encore. It does go an awful long way and it helps the show, like I say, not just be around, but hopefully be doing good things. And on this episode... 
We will be reviewing the brand new album from Roisin Murphy, Roisin Machine, said about a week. And in celebration and honour of Roisin's pivot to disco, Craig Fitzpatrick took one look at a glittering, glimmering <laughs> disco ball in the lights and we could not... And saw myself. <laughs> and you saw millions of tiny square Craigs. <laughs> which all looked back and were like, dude, disco. So yeah, I mean... Top five disco. This has kind of saved your week, right? Oh my God, it's so enjoyable. Um, I'm I'm a disco fan, um, clearly, but I'm not so much in that subculture that I'm constantly listening to disco. So every time I dip my toe or my, you know, my Cuban heel uh, in... Oh, by the way, I'm wearing very disco footwear. Uh, I know this is of no use to people listening, but I'll show you, Dave and Adam. You can maybe describe my feet. He Okay, he's... Yeah. So, oh my God. Okay, so what's happened here is Craig has leaned back <laughs> completely in his chair to the point I can no longer see him apart from the yeah. one dangling foot in the air. And it's like it's like something fucking Jafar in Aladdin would wear if he was going out for a nice night on the town. Um, I would describe I was thinking that, more Travolta. <laughs> uh, very sharp looking shoes, quite literally sharp. I think if you kick somebody with those, they're getting stabbed. And they're so shiny, yeah, as Adam says here. They're, they're white with black soles and a yeah. lot going on, yeah. Bit like myself. Where did you? Um, <laughs> I, I was like, I'm gonna move. I'm gonna move right on. I was like, he won't pounce on that one. I know. I know. It's I'm too sorry. easy. Jesus, it really but is. Hang too on, easy. hang on. You're just sitting I, around. You're sitting around the house. Is this because of the episode? <laughs> like, oh yeah. I mean, I haven't been wearing them to like during work, <laughs> doing like Zoom meetings with clients as I have on my, which I, I totally could actually, to be honest. Um, I've had these boots for uh, a little less than a year. I've not worn them outside as yet. And I kind of, they were, what are we looking at here from Adam? Adam is showing, oh wow, an amazing t-shirt. A white t-shirt. The Tesco logo, but it says disco. (laughs) Am I the only one who didn't didn't dress up for this? I'm just wearing my usual all black affair. Possibly. But you've brought hopefully the tunes. Um, But yeah, no, I haven't worn them outside the house. When they arrived, I was like, yeah, they are a bit shiny and extremely white and pointy. So I've been tentatively, pre-lockdown, I was like, okay, I'm going to break them out at some point in public. Um, maybe they will be my debut um, coming out <laughs> shoes once all this is over. Everyone can look forward to that. COVID is over and Cocaine Craig is back. Okay, fine. <laughs> so listen, you say you hope I brought the tunes. Well, I'm glad you said this because I actually have last week's episode, which thank you once again to Royal Yellow. I thought you guys made a wonderful team. I especially enjoyed. Yeah, the, Mark was terrific. I especially enjoyed the moment where. He was like, it was having a bit of a daydream there, Craig. And you were like, okay, I know Dave does this, but he doesn't actually tell me to my face. <laughs> yeah, I could see him drifting off as I was talking. Now, in fairness, this daydream was related to the content yeah, of what yeah, I was saying. It was but good. Still, it, it hurt. Good. But listen, um, yeah. the top five last week, it was sexy and least sexy songs. And it was it, it had lots of interesting shouts. Now, you picked a Nickelback song, which was obviously objectionable, really questionable, and just downright terrible. But you didn't pick this Nickelback song. I love when she says What's wrong with right here on the counter Fuck little monkey She's a twisted trickster Everybody wants to be the sister's mister Coca-Cola roller coaster Love her even though I'm not supposed to Fuck little monkey She's a twisted trickster Everybody wants to be the sister's mister Coca-Cola Oh, yeah. 
That is the chorus with Dulcet wow. Tones. Yeah, I know. It's incredible, right? It's Nickelback. That song is called She Keeps Me Up. Uh, it's from about five years ago, I think, five or six years ago. And it reminded me that it existed. So I was delighted for that. That was when they are going through their kind of like Maroon 5 phase, I guess. It could qualify as disco. It's not in my top five this week. but, but <laughs> <laughs> It's in mine. Spoilers. Um, yeah, no, do you know what the problem was? Um, as I said on the episode, Nickelback have so many like quote-unquote sexy songs in their arsenal that I I think I was I'd listened to maybe three or four and I didn't get to this one this might have been the one I put in because my word but yeah they love rolling out a nail raunchy number well, they're a band for all seasons now I'm actually I was trying to remember <laughs> if um if they played this one live when I saw them because I saw them in Dublin in 2016 at the three arena and I was so hammered that I can't remember anything that they played apart from you know the big ones I'm looking now on <laughs> setlist FM and they didn't I play sorry, it I'm sorry I thought you're Oh, they didn't, I thought you were going to say, and I was so happy. <laughs> I was just like, oh, I had a great night. I remember you enjoying that. I had a fantastic, <laughs> I've said this before, there are some gigs, Macklemore being one of them. If you just get completely blitzed, you're going to have a great time. Yeah. Now listen, okay, so Nickelback there doing pretty terrible things to the electric guitar. Somebody who has done amazing things with electric guitar, unfortunately, has left us this week, Craig. Lead news story, of course, <laughs> the passing of Eddie Van yeah. Halen at the age of 65 after a battle with throat cancer. Um, a lot of tributes like fucking flooding in. I, I okay, listen. I'm gonna I'm gonna be brutally honest. Van Halen aren't my go-to. Don't know enough about them to really kind of like give a proper eulogy here. But I always got the feeling that Eddie Van Halen was kind of not respected that much. But the the sheer like this is fucking deification. Yeah, yeah. Like, like, like with regard, I, like yeah. I was wrong. <laughs> People are saying he changed music, that kind of stuff. I think that's probably fair to say, uh, whether or not you're really into the band. And I was never a huge Van Halen um, fan. A lot of these tributes coming in are from the likes of people, like the likes of Nicky Six and Billy Idol and Sebastian Bach. So, I mean, take that with a pinch of salt. But no, for sure, I think I think the image of Van Halen is more so David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar and all the kind of almost kind of parody feuds they had over the years. Some of the kind of lewd songs they had. But at the heart of it all was uh, Eddie's playing and he was kind of technically um, approaching genius, people would say. He changed the way people played, again, whether you like that style or not. And the phrase that keeps being like popping up in all these tributes is like the Mozart of the guitar. Uh, Mozart of rock guitar, just seen lots of that. And I'm not sure if that was a phrase that was tied to him during his life. But uh, yeah, he did revolutionary things within that genre of rock. Um, so rightfully remembered and gone too soon. Yeah, I mean, like Metallica also among the tributes, tons and tons of people. And the Sammy Hagar thing is interesting because like they had fallen out. And I think he tweeted out a photograph of them together just saying that he was heartbroken, can't find the words, etc. And like, it was interesting to kind of go into the, the Twitter comments for once, uh, into those weeds, because you had some fans kind of saying stuff like, Sammy, like, think of all the years that you threw away, you know, like, like this shouldn't have been this way. And then people were like, well, hang on. They were like, this is his mate. Like, it, like this isn't really the time for... Yeah. But then you people were saying stuff like, oh, look, Sammy Hagar really, really tried like to get things back together. And it's, it's one of those kind of like interesting classic rock stories, I suppose, where like, Unfortunately, these are oftentimes how these things end, and only once something like this happens do you kind of see people drop their guards, I guess, and just kind of forget about all the stupid things and actually respect the person. And you know, it's a classic life story, but uh, it's I, I've just found it yeah. really interesting to see the reaction to someone because it really has been like I've seen nothing but like serious respect, serious kind of you know like claims of pioneering and like changing music and like like doing something really, really important for it so but yeah as you say um, it is yeah. mostly rock acts who are saying this but uh i don't know I, I think they were 
Sorry, I think, yeah, they were more of an American concern as well, for sure. Um, but the one sweet tweet I did say see that kind of summed it up was uh, out there somewhere, David Lee Roth and Sammy Hager are arguing over who misses Eddie Moore, which is quite sweet and probably true. Craig's sweet tweets. Interesting. That's a new segment. <laughs> that we're going. Uh, I saw one as well. I saw it last night and I was like, so Tom Morello, right, of Rage Against the Machine. Now, we love Rage Against the Machine. Yeah. We love Tom Morello. Tom Morello put out one of those tweets. I, I hate this style where it's he goes, the Eddie Van Halen, Jimi Hendrix, Randy Rhodes, Stevie Ray Vaughan, Prince, Chuck Berry, Dwayne Allman, Albert King, Alan Holdsworth, Dimebag Daryl, and BB King jam session occurring right now, I have a feeling is pretty good. Now, hang on. That would sound like a fucking nightmare. Can you imagine it? Yeah, they always do those kind of dream collaborations in heaven. The amount of names in that that's my point. I'm I'm trying to I'm trying to give him the benefit of the doubt and be like, was it kind of tongue in cheek? Was he like playing on that trope, or do you think it was totally like lacking self awareness and he actually just wants to see that jam? I, in I feel like it was sincerity and and like like I say, I'm, I'm yeah, not probably. I'm not pouring any disrespect on the individuals involved. It's more that you put that many guitarists together at once and it's going to sound like logistics. I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. Maybe to, logistics in heaven are different. Three guitarists max is what I would say. Uh, okay, uh, yes. now again, keeping on an American rock theme and uh, iconic men of of the american rock scene craig bon jovi has some thoughts this week about bono's upbringing let's take a listen to those thoughts shall we here he is in conversation with dax shepherd terrible actor turned podcaster i'm happy for you genuinely and i have to imagine for you you want to give people a song that they get married to you want to give people an experience at a concert where they they hit a 10 naturally I have to imagine most of your career, you've been like, why would I alienate half the people? Certainly it wasn't as bad back then as it is now, but was that ever part of your analysis? Like, I've got a different thing I want to spread and I want to keep it as open to as many people as possible. Well, that would be an obvious answer, especially when I was a younger guy, when you had single-minded focus, which was simply to make records and entertain people. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I would often bring up an example. So Bono's probably right at my age. He's a couple of months older, I think. His upbringing was obviously very different than mine. I never had the orange men walking through my neighborhood and saying, you know, get the Catholic kid and beat him up. You know, I didn't have any of that kind of turmoil in suburban New Jersey when you had a wonderful middle-class upbringing with two hardworking parents. So, of course, you're writing the happy anthemic song, Although Runaway really, if you think about it, had a social consciousness to it, talking about the girl was on the street corner while I was lucky enough to get off the bus and walk 10 blocks to the recording studio as the gopher in. I was aware of the world around me, but I chose not to get involved. And I don't blame myself. I was 21 years old and that's all I had to live. We now go live to Craig Fitzpatrick wow. for a brief history lesson. Um, so this is completely inaccurate as all our <laughs> Irish listeners and probably most other people will know. I I feel like I want to... Okay, initially, of course, the backlash is against Bono and the running narrative now, which is probably true, is that Bono's been going around chatting to all his famous mates saying, yeah, the troubles, man. Streets I grew up in, it was rough, yeah. Um, in Dublin, in Finglas. Um I kind of I kind of desperately want to give him the benefit of the doubt and suggest that John Bon Jovi got the wrong end of the stick somehow and just knew some of like U2's protest songs and thought Ireland was like super small and 
Welcome to my new segment, Benefit of the Doubt, to run alongside sweet tweets. But I don't know. What's your take on it? <laughs> I can't decide if I prefer Craig's <laughs> Benefit of the Doubt. And that's pretty good. Yeah, I think Benefit of the Doubt is fair enough. I mean, like, it's probably one of those things. It could be an apocryphal story told, you know, three different ways over 30 different years. And who knows? Yeah, maybe Bono, I'm not alleging anything, but like, maybe Bono does <laughs> spin the odd tall tale while on an American tour. I don't fucking know. But like, sorry. You can imagine have you, yeah, uh, him waxing lyrical in full flow he can't help himself yeah who could blame he's him a you know, he's, a, he's a natural or- <laughs> he is a natural orator <laughs> uh, have you ever seen the amazing clip by the way of him it's you two playing in san francisco in the 80s i think it is i think it's the 80s because bono's mullet is is pretty hardcore and he's he's like in the middle of some song and he's doing like his usual parable stuff with the crowd and he's like get that flag out of here that scumbag <laughs> flag get it the, get it the hell out of here man and it's like he thinks it's a Sinn Féin flag but it's actually the San yeah. Francisco <laughs> San Francisco <laughs> SF yeah <laughs> um <laughs> Not great. Constantly putting his foot in it, in fairness. I did see one ex- um, one excuse uh, put forward was from musician Frank Hearns, which I thought was maybe stretching it slightly. Uh, he, he reckons that Bono actually feared the Mr. Men, uh, a punk outfit, his punk outfit, Frank was in the band that supported U2 on their first tour and said, Bono produced our first demo and sang one of the tracks. I think we liked it, but he might have been a bit scared of the Mr. Men. So, yeah. Um, but I was scared of being beaten up by a 70s punk act. Well, RT journalist Samantha Libreri shared a thread of her own during the week because I think she interviewed Bono for some uh, some overall Irish music compendium book thing that she did a while ago and talked about his upbringing in Finglas and he said that he recalled a terrible beating that he once received there but it was by like some skinheads who were like, you know, I guess doing that kind of localization thing of like, where are you from? And he's like, uh, Finglas. And it was like, wrong answer, yeah. pal. Um, but I mean, like, it's interesting to see the reaction to this. Um, I think someone said that like music fans quickly told Bon Jovi that he was, quote, giving the Orange Order a bad name. Um, so, I mean, it, it's, the, it's the kind of story, Craig, that like you wouldn't you wouldn't expect a, a spokesman from the Orange Order to respond now, would you? Oh, hang on, it's 2020. I have a quote. So that's exactly what happened. <laughs> <I'm a statement. laughs> do I have to read it? Yes, you do. <laughs> do I have to read a statement on behalf of the Orange Order well, hang on. told to the Irish Sun? I, like, I, I was... Am I betraying my... <laughs> <laughs> I I was born on the 12th of July and my middle name is William. That's where the connection oh, ends, by the way. <laughs> Read away. Read away. Well, I'll do it. Why not? Uh, like I say, <laughs> hasten to add, that's the end of my connection with this entire um, section of society. Uh, a spokesman for the Orange Order told the Irish Sun, the comments made by Bon Jovi are hardly worth responding to because of their <laughs> fictitious nature. It would be worthwhile if Bono was asked to share firsthand his quote-unquote trauma at the hands of Orange Men as they marched through Finglas, Dublin, where he grew up. Bono was vocal in supporting the Good Friday Agreement, which allegedly protects all traditions in Northern Ireland. Let's hope he's just as vocal when putting his mates straight on the facts. So there you go. Something we can all learn from this week, I think, you know? Just, like, get your facts right, basically. Someone who needs to get her facts right is Lana Del Rey. Around... Yeah, around um, face masks and face coverings. Um, She tried to combine style with safety in fairness to her, at a fan meet and greet, which I don't know if should have been taking place. I'm baffled um, but that unfortunately, that's actually happening. It was, it was, yeah, so am I. Um, America, um, it was a mesh face mask. This is the problem. And a doctor specialising in infectious diseases has criticised Lana and explained why it doesn't work. I don't know if that was necessary, to be honest. Can I just say that this guy yeah. fucking rules? I took the last set of quotes. You can have these ones. This man's amazing. 
Yeah, it's the University of California's Dr. Peter Chinhong. Uh, he said, I'm not very confident that it would prevent any spread of COVID. Um, this features, like the mask features large holes, by the way. Uh, it looks interesting, but you don't need to be a smart virus to get through that mesh. You could be the dumbest virus and it would be easy to get through that mesh. Outlining the flaws in Del Rey's glamorous design, he went on, the holes are so big in the mesh that you might as well be wearing nothing. I can draw a mask on my face with a magic marker and it would have the same efficiency as a mesh mask. Get off the fence, um, mate. Yeah. You know, tell us how you really feel. Uh, he said that mask shaming is not the way forward after thoroughly shaming that mask choice there. Uh, changing the behavior, you know, he said shaming is the worst thing that you can do because it makes someone defensive. In fact, if someone said, hey, Lana, I wonder why, why you wore that mesh mask and said it in a nice, kind, curious way. She might say, oh, I didn't really know. You're right. Maybe this isn't the best mask. Like, what? this is Andy Gray inventing conversations with footballers, yeah. like, all over again. Like, what the hell is he doing? And also, by the way, um, last night, Wednesday night, um, did you ever watch the Stephen Nolan show? Um, speaking, bring, bring things back to Northern Ireland for I, a second. I've, bizarrely, I'd never heard of it until last night when I saw a clip on Twitter of him, like, trying to confront someone on forecourt it's, that wasn't wearing masks. It's outstanding. <laughs> is this the same thing? Yeah, yeah, so basically, like, the show was about wearing masks and stuff, uh, as most topical shows <laughs> now are forever. <laughs> so, Stephen Nolan, who's... He's kind of a... Is he, like, a kind of BBC Northern Ireland shock jockey yeah, type? I or would, Adrian Kennedy type? Yeah, or you could... Jeremy Kyle? You yeah. could reasonably call him an agitator, Craig. And that's... Yeah. So, he, so he was <laughs> Standing outside a, I will. he was standing outside a supermarket, and like literally, like he's standing there in like a fucking zip-up jacket and his mask on, and a man comes out of the shop wearing a mask. Now this is key, right? And Stephen Nolan, and this is all filmed. Stephen Nolan goes up to him and is like, "Excuse me, um, I noticed you weren't wearing a mask when you went into the shop there. What, what was that about? Yeah?" And the guy's just like trying to ignore him and get on with his day. And Stephen Nolan follows yeah. him into the car park, just shouting at him. Then later on, he confronts another man who this time isn't wearing a mask, and he's like. Um, sorry, um, why aren't you wearing a mask? You were just in the shop there. And the guy's like, oh, don't worry about it, man. I work in a hospital. <laughs> Stephen Hull goes, you work in a hospital? Like, surely you must understand. Do you care? Do you care? And I was like, how is this being filmed? How is this television? What the hell is going on? BBC as well. Like, it's bizarre, isn't it? BBC Northern Ireland. So, you know, it's a whole thing. Um, <laughs> Lana uh, is, uh, I guess, bouncing back from this. She released a book of poetry. She's teasing her new album. It's a nice looking mask. Yeah. I will say that, but it probably isn't very effective. It looks cool. It reminded me of Kanye kind of in his Yeezus days. Very stylized, very cool. Uh, maybe for a different time um, when safety isn't more important than style, uh, which isn't always the case. Uh, dangerous potentially to meet Lana. Uh, dangerous to search Mick Jagger's name, apparently. Uh, this uh, McAfee has come out with um, a, a study on the most dangerous celebrities to search for online. Um, and Mick Jagger has placed right up there with Idris Elba. Uh, Ricky Gervais is the most likely names to send you down an online rabbit hole that could put you at risk of malware and viruses. So Graham Norton topped this year's poll. I think Billie Eilish fe- featured highly last year. Um and yeah, Jagger came in fifth. So essentially, what this is, is online criminals using search terms to try and get at people, bring them to sites that have malware, bring them down a rabbit hole, and basically, I guess, end point is rob them blind. 
Mick Jagger, would he seem like a likely candidate to you? I guess he's kind of from a generation that you might be getting searches from people that mightn't be as up to speed on net security uh, overall. I don't know, Dave, what do you reckon? Tell us about net security. Well, I wouldn't have thought he was the most Googleable person these days. But No. I mean, it says that Billie Eilish dropped out of this list, so maybe the times are, in fact, changing. Also, I thought it was always pronounced McAfee, not McAfee. Who's wrong here? It probably is. I'm more of a Norton antivirus kind of guy. Okay. Um, I feel like, you know, whatever one is free is the one I'll go with. But who knows, that itself could be full of all these kind of crazy spyware things. One name that you won't get on this list, strangely, is Rod Stewart who we've talked about on the show quite often. Uh, he's an interesting man. He's uh... <laughs> <laughs> he is an interesting man. Will he feature in our top five disco tunes with Do You Think I'm Sexy? I mean, who knows? no spoilers. Uh, he, however, thinks that we have, in fact, spoiled the earth itself. And I think it's too late to turn back now. It's not a cheery news story, Craig. Uh, we've talked about Rod Stewart and his kind of hermetic existence that he, uh, that he has. He kind of, you know big train enthusiast we had the whole railway thing about a year ago and yeah he was on uh, the how to wow podcast speaking to chris evans i presume the british one not the captain america man yeah um wide-ranging interview touched on his career his interest in football and the coronavirus pandemic <laughs> while discussing the pandemic Stewart said quote the good lord is intent on wiping <laughs> us all out because we've spoiled the <laughs> earth we've spoiled it i think it's too late to turn back now uh, global warming is going to spoil the earth. We're, we're literally, I believe, too late. Now, reminiscent in a way of Ridley Scott's explanation for the film Prometheus, and when he was describing this, he was like, well, wh- wh- why do the aliens want to kill us? It's because, you know, they've observed our behavior and they're not impressed. And he goes, you know, there yeah. is precedent for this. A certain man by the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, what is going on? <laughs> like, that's the first thing I, I thought about here. Like, it was just like, they saw what we did and they're not happy. Um, unfortunately, this isn't about aliens. This is about global warming, which is real and probably is going to kill us. But, you know, I don't know. What are you going to do about it, mate? I just, yeah, the the image of, you know, Rod Stewart, of all people, kind of getting that this is serious and being utterly crestfallen kind of tickled me. Um, but yeah, we do need to take it seriously. I'm also surprised that a man... Uh, who spent so much of the 70s and 80s wearing like leopard print skin tight trousers believes there's a damnation like a religious reckoning coming uh, i thought he was slightly more frivolous than that uh so he thinks it's the end times but uh he's he's still in a feud with elton john which is great maybe trying to patch things up which is great they fell out last year uh after rod criticized john's decision to it's weird when you say john isn't it instead of elton because it's the surname but it's a first name his decision to head out on an extensive farewell world tour. Uh, he poked fun at Rocket Man, said it wasn't very flattering. Um, the situation now, we don't talk to each other anymore. Big falling out. Last time I emailed him, I said, I've got this football pitch. Would you like the boys to come up? You know, because they both love football and the world's about to end. I added that last bit. But uh, nah, no reply to the email. No reply well, from Elton. The feud continues. Well, this is an amazing postscript because we've talked before about this Rod Stewart football pitch thing. He built a massive football pitch on on yes. his grounds and he has no one to play with. Remember this? And it was really sad. The continuing like, melancholy of Rod Stewart. Yeah, it's unbelievable. there's a deep well there. <laughs> like, yeah. He's like, bring the kids. We can play football. No, we can't. You can, you can burn alone on your football pitch <laughs> of doom. Speaking of aliens, though, Robbie Williams has uh, written a song about Sean Ryder. It has something to do with aliens. Help me out here, Craig. <laughs> it's another podcast. It's the Adam Buxton one. Um, Robbie Williams was on. He was talking about his relationship with Sean Ryder of the Happy One Days. They worked on a song together, um, which was the initial headline. I didn't think it was the most attention-grabbing bit of it. Um, he said, quite often I try and channel Sean Ryder when I'm writing songs. Um, 
the songs will merge, plans change all the time, but hopefully sometime in the spring, get something. But they've bonded not just over music, but a shared interest in UFOs and extraterrestrial life. Uh, so Robbie said, I saw bits of Sean's UFO show. I'm, I feel like I knew this was the thing, but I forgot. And now I immediately need to go and watch it. Um, they've talked about it. Sean told me, right, it was just by a tree in front of me. They come all the time, Rob. <laughs> they come all the time, Rob. Robbie Williams, of course, has had his own UFO documentaries. Um, so yeah, I can see them bonding over it. Will they get, both get beamed up together? I don't know. We might never know. And I think I'm okay with not knowing. But, you know, what are you going to do about it? Um, what you can do about it is you could always listen to something else, apart from Rob Williams, you know. Um, I guess what I'm trying to say, Craig, is there are lots of other options on the Headstuff Podcast Network, not just this one, which you're listening to, and we appreciate it. But if you want a totally different show, here's one for you right now. Okay, it's Jibs here from Pints of Malt. So our podcast is basically group of Irish Nigerian lads who tell their stories growing up in Ireland as well as Nigeria and we share our experiences with all of y'all we also had a bit of comedy as well you know to get y'all laughing get y'all through the week in these tough times that we are in so y'all sit back and just you know enjoy the show as Jib said we're the Pints of Mott podcast you can find us on all streaming platforms including the Headstuff Network Lots happening, lots happening in the world of music, of course, the album world of music. Albums being released week on week. Adam Shanahan, our sonic architect, is buying all of them on vinyl. That's his addiction these days. Are we going to be as addicted to Roisin Murphy's comeback album? It's all about disco. It's all about Roisin Murphy. It's called Roisin Machine, and it sounds like this. That track was called Simulation, an eight and a half minute bop of a pulsating purpose, I would say, on an album by the name of Roisin Machine, which is in itself full of uh, pulse and purpose and the singular delights that we know Roisin Murphy for. It is, in fact, Murphy's Law. But here to uh, tell us a bit more about Roisin Murphy, it's Craig Fitzpatrick. Uh, yes, a Roisin Murphy, Wicklow born, Manchester raised. Uh, I guess she's a bit of a national treasure here. And globally, I think she's like top of every discerning person's list and title. Like the world would be a better place if they were a massive pop star. She's always one of those names that's kind of flouted like that. So I don't know. Could you call her a Celtic Grace Jones? Uh, the likes of Robin, Dua Lipa, love her, have massive respect for her. She's been a huge influence. She had fairly big commercial success uh, with her breakout group, Maloko. Uh, which he formed in Sheffield, the 90s with Mark Bryden. And yeah, they kind of straddled the millennium with really smooth, super catchy, sophisticated dance. Um, you know, quite literate, quite knowing, quite sassy, but also, you know, tapping into great disco, kind of carnal appeal and just aim straight for the charts. A lot of big hits. They were put on ice around uh, 2003. And then since then, Roisin Murphy will kind of turn up in, you know, broadsheets every few years or maybe every half decade. 
and all the declarations will be that like you know her time is now um to play on one of her bigger hits and you know this album is the one that's going to get her more acclaim and um really announce her on the world stage uh you see a lot of that i was looking through some of her uh previous notices um her album in 2007 overpowered which was maybe the one that people thought might be the one that puts her true to the mainstream as a solo act um had Gary Mulholland in The Guardian saying, you know, no one makes music quite like Roisin Murphy. Uh, she's a singular presence. Uh, get ready for this to, you know, put her over the top. And it doesn't quite happen. You know, she wins awards. Um, people love it. that kind of know about her. But she kind of went quiet then. There was a bit of a gap. And we had almost back-to-back releases with Hairless Toys and Take Her Up to Monto in 2015, 2016. We reviewed the latter in one of the very early No Encores. I think uh, I recall us being quite enamoured with it. And yeah, I think those releases showed that, you know, she's a huge variety and a number of genres she flits between. You know, even Roisin Murphy doesn't make music like Roisin Murphy uh, that often. This, though, Roisin Machine is streamlined, as you say, disco it's her going back to her love of dance pop it's her you know uh underneath the glitter ball a set of songs that's a bit more straightforward um than some of her more avant-garde pop uh, excursions a lot of this is gathering together previously released tracks so i think the opener goes back to all the way to like 2012 um i think six of the 10 songs have been previously released uh with a couple of new ones she loves an extended remix, so they've popped up in that kind of way. She's excelled at this kind of thing before. What did you make of her latest offering, Dave? Uh, the narrative is interesting in, in that sense. You're right. I mean, yeah. there's always the, why isn't she a bigger pop star? And like, you know, what's going on there? And I, I think she herself has like spoken about that in interviews. I remember like on Twitter once as well, she was very like candidly saying out loud to people, I kind of need a bit more help here, lads. In terms of like, yeah. you know, I'm not really clicking with the fucking mainstream maybe possibly i mean I, that they weren't her words that's more my interpretation and you know i, I don't know i mean like one like roshan murphy's always had more than one foot in the avant-garde you know she is avant-garde and like if you contrast the likes of hairless toys and especially take her up to monto uh which i do yeah we reviewed on this show i reviewed it for drowning sound it's very very taken with it i guess roshan machine by comparison is a bit more mainstream focused but it doesn't strike me necessarily as a sellout or anything um i remember talking to her a couple of years ago uh, for joe it was around the time she was launching a podcast i think it was in 2018 and i i was asking her i was like you know i get the vibe that you know if you wanted to you know you could be as big as like fucking sia or whoever you could be like you know a massive pop star if you wrote those kind of songs and she was giving out about the frequencies that she hears on the radio and how they just drive her mad and it's, it's not the kind of stuff that she wants mm. to do and she said um that i've been asked to work with a lot of producers uh who would be huge i feel like i know what i'm doing next for example i know i'm working on a record for probably the next year and i get asked nearly every day to guest spot on this or to write on that i'm quite conscious of spreading myself too thin and taking the emphasis off um the thing that i really put all the love into the album or the bigger project i've been working on so you know someone who has determinedly avoided i guess cash grabs and easy features or you know easy studio sessions for other artists that again you feel like roshi murphy could could excel at like no problem and that wouldn't be necessarily a bad thing to do you know it's 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 an interesting way of paying the bills it's work and maybe there are like some pop stars who would be in need of a Roisin Murphy. But instead, she focuses on her own craft. And with Roisin Machine, 
Um, it's interesting because, like I say, and like you were kind of alluding to there, this is probably the kind of record that could maybe move her up a little bit, you know, more on the charts or more on whatever. Um, but it comes along at a time when all the fucking clubs are closed, right? They're, it's the same yeah. problem that Disclosure have, uh, like, a month ago. It's the same problem that anyone who makes this kind of music now, it's just gone out into the ether more so than ever because, you know... I, you know, like the the bit that we played there from Simulation, for example, I deliberately chose a section where that kind of, you know, thumping bass comes in and it makes you want to move. It's hard not to dance. This is a very danceable record. And again, Roshi Murphy can do this kind of stuff in your sleep. But there is that cognitive dissonance. It's not her fault. And I wonder, because you're saying like, you know, at least six of these songs have already appeared. Was it a case of holding it off until the last possible minute? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure it was penciled in for when it was penciled in. But it's just a there's just a weird sour time for this to happen. And I think that can help but affect the record a little bit. Something else I think affects the record a little bit as well is it's a bit straightforward from what we would come to expect normally from Roshan Murphy, which is no bad thing, but it's not yeah. really like, it's, it's just kind of straightforward a lot of the time. I'm like, mm, I mean, it's grand, but like I kept waiting for it, for the genius to emerge and it never really, really did. I felt the same way. Just listening kind of midweek, I was mulling over that line, like, no one makes music quite like Roisin Murphy. And I don't know if that's quite the case here. There's some skyscraping moments. There's some of her kind of most polished pop gems, I think, disco pop. And I've yet to be really wowed by it in its entirety. Um, you know, whereas her previous stuff, I've been completely captivated by it. Even all the kind of left field turns, maybe uh, particularly because of those left field turns, it just kept me guessing and I was in. I was beguiled and I was on board. This was uh, a very nice listen in the background. As you say, not on the dance floor, just working away on a laptop, which is quite odd. Um, I initially was thinking the same as you, of like, this is custom built for the dance floor. Uh, it's not going to work at this time. We talked previously about like Lady Gaga having her big disco comeback right as lockdown happened across the world and was just like, okay, bit of a damn squib. After a few listens, I felt like this was almost too lockdowny because um, lyrically she's so good and um, she writes about herself and maybe, you know, the kind of humdrum aspects of life um, so keenly that there is tracks here that like a, like a Kingdom of Ends is um, talking about, you know, waking up 6am and like thinking, you know, what the hell am I doing? Just getting on with it. It felt like she was writing about the trudge of daily life quite a lot. Um throughout it but the jarring bit was this very polished um you know disco sheen that was going on and the problem was yeah those huge tunes weren't there there wasn't those moments of like we're doing you know the top five disco songs all of my shortlist was songs that even if you're in your gaff in your kitchen the minute they come on you're transported and I don't think any of this transported me. There was no rush of like ecstasy um, like you get with the absolute best of disco. It just felt a little too mannered, a little too knowing. Um, she's got Richard Barrett on production and it's, I very much admire it. You know, you've got really crisp per- percussion and bass lines are great. Um, it's got a nice gloss to it. It's kind of like being, you know, being shown like a really well engineered car like you know here's a tesla sitting this tesla and me going i don't drive uh me going sitting in the car and being like yeah this is wow really impressive but i can't really go anywhere with it particularly at the moment and if i have to live in the tesla that's not going to be great and being inside this album for the week didn't quite work for me uh either so yeah it's just 
it kind of kept washing over me, try as I might to like, I, I was, that was the most unexpected thing was that a Roisin Murphy album would just come and go as I was listening to it. Yeah, I mean, like the points you're making there, I agree with in terms of it's so hermetically sealed that it's almost claustrophobic yeah. at times. And that makes for a fairly tight, rigid, coiled spring, unenjoyable listen. And I mean, like on a surface level, it's fun, you know, like, as you say, it is pristine, it is managed, it is accomplished, it is produced within an inch of its life. But yeah, I mean, like, it just, I don't know, it almost feels kind of instructory or something. There's just like, and now the drop. And it's like, cool, yeah. I mean, like, you know, like, it's it's not even that like, you know, oh, this is kind of like Roshan Murphy trying for something a bit more straightforward, but like. She's done this exact thing so much better elsewhere. Like, I mean, yeah, even track like Overpowered or whatever. But like, it's not weird. There's nothing weird here at all. I kind of want weird from Roshi Murphy, maybe more than I realized. Um, don't get me wrong. I mean, like by comparison to say like Take Her Up to Monta, maybe I can see why some people would be put off by that being too experimental and too, you know, I guess rebelling against convention. But like the problem with making an album like this is that you have such an incredible singular talent at the forefront and it's just kind of slumming it. It's almost like a, I guess we're in tortured analogy territory now, uh, falling off from the Tesla. <laughs> Certainly after my Tesla. I was about to say, yeah, from, from, from your, your confused car showroom experience. <laughs> I can't even drive this thing. Don't worry. You don't need to. It's kind of like a footballer playing a friendly match or something. And they were told to like do tricks or something. Like it's just a bit, I don't mean to like, that, that sounds almost a bit too fucking callous, but yeah, it, but it's, it doesn't it's really like, go anywhere. It, you know what? Like, it's it, does, almost... like, it doesn't really go anywhere. Like it's just kind of like, it's, it's, it's like a, it's, it's not a flat line cause it does up, up and down, but it's just a bit A to B. You know, can I can I evoke Steely Dan? Don't worry, I'm not going to start talking about Steely Dan. Wanda. But one of the criticisms <laughs> you were waiting for it's been three weeks since we talked. I have to do it. Um, one of the criticisms of the Dan is, of course, that they're too pristine and that they got you know world class session music- musicians to play everything. And people say that you know because they're you know highly skilled session musicians, you lose something. And I feel like there's that problem with this album where Roisin Murphy knows disco almost too well. She's almost hit that one too well Um, because she can do it kind of in her sleep. She knows all the ingredients. So what you get is um, like a a guidebook to how you put together really accomplished disco music, but you're lacking some kind of spontaneity. You're lacking some bit of soul. And yeah, yeah, there's a gap there for me. There's a disconnect. There's, you know... There's a layer of uh, between me and the music for sure. So I guess to go back to my interview with Roshin, um, I wouldn't say I said to her that like in in the Apple Music editor's notes for like uh, whatever album Overpowered was on, because um, forgive me forget forget the name, uh, she was described as idiosyncratic, and I was like, is that fair? And she said, I think I am a bit unusual, uh, but that comes from confidence more than anything else. So I was brought up to think that I was great and to accept that I don't have to fit in. And that was good. It gave me the confidence to follow my instincts. I'm very instinctual and I go with my gut in terms of who I work with and how I work. And when a thing is finished, that's a big thing for any artist, any writer. You need confidence more than anything else. That confidence for me, Roshi Murphy has almost never, ever been lacking. It certainly isn't here, but it's not innovative enough for me to really enjoy this. And it just felt a bit stock at times. It's a six out of ten. Yeah, I'm going six. It's like a high quality kind of facsimile of stuff she loves. Uh, I think there's lyrical greatness there from her, as there always is, some really keen lines. But uh, 
not enough to hook me in throughout the duration. Six out of ten for me as well. In the other listening corner, I caught up on some stuff you guys have already talked about. Sophie and Stevens, The Ascension. I really enjoyed oh, yeah. the review last week. I enjoyed uh, Mark coming at it from the point of view of a super fan who was a bit kind of put off by it initially, but was learning to try and piece his way through it. And you kind of like saying that like the more you thought about it, the more it stayed with you and the more you think you will return to it. For me, uh, Sufian or Sufian, I'm still not entirely sure how the accurate pronunciation is, but I'll trust you. I think it's Sufian, but I keep changing it up, yeah. <laughs> myself so I don't know I've always found him quite cold to get into again it's that kind of ornate I admire this type thing but like I didn't go back to Carrie and Lowell for example like almost ever even though I was like well this is obviously brilliant but I just didn't listen to it again Um, and the Ascension you know like 80 minutes long you'd be like well this is never going to work for me is it but it kind of does and I I listened to it a bunch over that week even though because I was like oh Oh, I was like oh class I mean like Good week to take off. I don't have to review an 80-minute Sophie and Stevens album. I'm a genius. And then, <laughs> what am I going to do? And then I ended up listening to it like six or seven times. And I was like, this yeah. is really good. I really like it. I really like it. I think it's a, I think it's one of the better albums of the year. Um, the Deftones album, Ohms, I've given that a few spins as well. I agree with you. I'm finding it really hard to get into, even though I'm like, I enjoy this. Yeah. My brain's like, this is good. I haven't gone back to it. But I'm like, I don't know. Yeah. I, can't, I, I can't get into it, into it, you know? I totally do. I'll have to return to it, but it just wasn't clicking. I, I put in about three or four solid listens and, and nope. Um, I've also been listening to uh, lots of kind of score-based music. Uh, Mac Quail, Mr. Robot, the final season, which just makes me miss that show all the more. I think it ended incredibly strongly. Uh, Alex Tierney, brother of Christian Tierney, the photographer and friend of the show, he's launching his own solo oh. career at the moment. A uh, young 20-year-old man from Dublin. And he's making kind of, you know, that kind of troubadour, wounded singer-songwriter stuff, but with experimental elements. He cites Bonnie Vera, for example, as one of his kind of, like, uh, interests, and you can definitely hear it in the tunes. His new track, Painkiller, is out now, and uh, it's been doing a bit of a number on my brain today, so check that one out. And also, uh, our latest Patreon playlist at patreon.com slash noencore, coming off last week's top five, sexy songs, 40 songs of Red Hot Lust. I threw 20 in there oh, myself, yes. and uh, I must say, Craig, it's alarming how fast I, I, I put that playlist together for, so, for someone who hasn't had fast, the need yeah. for such music for quite some time, so... <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, speed counts in the bedroom. In the Tesla, in the Tesla <laughs> no, showroom, I believe, yes, it does. <laughs> yeah. uh, what have I been listening to? Lots of sexiness and lots of disco, um, which has been all cheering me up, so great choices there. Hot Chip put out their um, first, like, late night tales mix, Um which I, I felt like they did one before, but nope, it's 72 minutes of pretty great, kind of nocturnal, um, chill out, uh, quite sensual as well, Electronica and four new tunes from them, which are very good. Um, so I recommend that it's, it's a kind of undemanding listen, um, an hour and, a, and some change. So yeah, if you're fan, if you're fans of Hot Chips and their kind of their influences, I would suggest checking out that. So before we get to the top five, by the way, I just realized I forgot something earlier on. Um, when we talked about Bono and Bon Jovi, there was another clip that I had prepared and it's completely fucking insane. So I think we need to play oh, yeah. it because if I if I close the show without playing it, uh, it would be a horrible thing to do. It isn't the first time that Bono and Bon Jovi have been kind of pitted together in a pop culture sense. Take a listen to this from the E! Network around about the turn of the century. And boy, does it sound like <laughs> it. He's a Nobel Peace Prize nominee. He's a head-banging hard rock hero. They're the furthest ends of the rock star spectrum, but alphabetically, they're next-door neighbors. Bono takes on Bon Jovi in this battle of the Hollywood hotties. I mean, hands down, Bon Jovi. The masses have spoken, and we've tallied the results. 
While Bono's out promoting world peace and stamping out hunger, the actual good-looking Bon Jovi has been keeping his ego in check. And hey, he needs it more. Bon Jovi will be collecting his award as the winner of this battle of the Hollywood hotties. And it's way shinier than a Nobel Prize. I like a guy who's more into his hair than helping third world children. I only have two outfits, you know, jeans or leather pants. Whew, it really, oh really, 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 really was a different time. I remember those shows on the E! Network where you had that bizarre uh, woman voiceover thing where everything everything was said with like pure lust. It was just like, and he's going. Is that real? It's real, That yeah. wasn't like a sketch. No, it wasn't a sketch. It's a real thing. And you hear like some like comedian trying to make some edgy joke there as well. Um, the voices are slightly pitch shifted there. That's the best audio quality I could find of it. But it, like, oh honestly, God, I, I, I remember it and it was just like, all it was was just like, you know, whether it was male or female gays, it was just like fucking... Uh, this intense, intense, like midnight bollocks, where it was just like this woman being like, and he's about to find out how. <laughs> and it's just like, what is going on? Like, this is just way too. The actually, the actually good looking Bon yeah, Jovi. Like, ow, like, burn. Like, yeah, for that. all right. For that. So, yeah, bon Jovi wins the hottie war anyway. But like I say, it was a different time, Craig. And it was definitely a different time for a top five this week. For you, is disco a genre, an era, or both? It's a state of mind, Dave. Um, <laughs> it's both a genre and an era. Um, I will, of course, have some perimeters around my top five, although I think you're free to pick whatever you want. That is the disco way. But yeah, disco, I think, um, officially started mid-70s and was done by the 80s. Um, so everything that followed after that was kind of like post-disco. There was a big bash- backlash to disco and for years... Um, I guess growing up, you would have heard like, you know, disco sucks and a lot of, um, I guess, middle-aged white rock fans being like, this is trash. Um, I was actually reading today this article about um, (laughs) this thing that happened at the White Sox Stadium um, in like 1979, where a disc jockey had this promotional thing, like in the middle of like at halftime or like in between games uh, at a baseball game, where he burnt a huge crate of disco records and like had this big promotion around it. 50,000 people turned up, most of them to see this burning. And people have said it's like what signaled the end of disco. Um, And of course, a lot of debate around, listen, was that just racism? Was it homophobia? Probably a little bit of both. Um, But yeah, disco, for people that like dance floors, friends of the kind of... um, you know, misfits, the outcasts, people that need something to hang on to, um, a malign genre and a great genre. Should be noted that uh, Sonic Architect Adam was due to take this episode off, but once he heard that we were yes. doing Top 5 Disco Bangers, he was like, he literally sent me a voice note practically screaming, actually screaming at me about actually how he, he could not miss this. So there's a lot of pressure on Craig. I think you got to kick us off here in the right fashion. Okay, I'm going to kick us off with um, my sole post-disco heyday pick. Uh, It's also my prime hipster pick, uh, but I think it encapsulates everything great about disco. My number five.
Yeah, that's Karen Young's Detour from 1982 and lots of breathy vocals there. It's got all the hallmarks, really. Uh, you've got the four and the floor beats, uh, syncopated bass lines, string sections. There's even some kind of like nice jazz flute going on there. Uh, totally works for the dance floor, which was kind of my criteria. So all my picks are like, it's not just the era, it's not just the genre. These are songs that if they came on in a club, I would immediately race to the dance floor because I think that's ultimately what disco should do. Um, but yeah, this song seems to be about some guy that like couldn't make it to the dance floor because he was tripping on LSD. Um, but Karen Young was uh, an interesting artist, a Philly singer who had her sole big hit kind of slap bang in the middle of disco, uh, the song being Hot Shot, it's also a great track and as is often the case with these kind of major disco artists like she was propelled to you know international fame um but within a couple of years as disco slightly faded you know she was just essentially rendered a one-hit wonder so this was after her prime um she passed away quite young as well quite a sad story but yeah like i i, I adore this song i had a real chance encounter with it it just was on some like extended disco train mix um maybe a decade ago i think i was like cramming my journalism dissertation at the time and this and i had gone full nocturnal for like two weeks where i was just writing all night and panicking and this <laughs> yes david's yeah. gonna interject <laughs> i've held my hand up like a like an eager student of disco i was gonna say i assume that your dissertation was about in fact disco and nothing else yeah it wasn't about anything oh, to of do course with yeah. yeah i mean it was a disco degree it's the original journalism but this kind of kept me going it was one of those songs along with like i think i was listening to caribou at the time kid creole um i was kind of rendered delirious from a lack of sleep and the glory of this track but yeah this is one of those like lesser known quotes i'm gonna go way more mainstream from this point on where are you going with your number five dave i'm going with what jen gannon on twitter described as catnip for straight men hit the music adam God damn those fucking hi-hats, am I right? That is Like <laughs> an Eagle, fittingly titled by Dennis Parker. Uh, if you've never heard Dennis Parker, I believe he was born Dennis Posa. And according to a, a very in-depth, interesting Vice article from 2017, is there any other such thing? Um, what can a disco record by a dead porn star teach us about life? Well, lots, I would say. So I'm going to quote from this article now. Um, Dennis Posa was known to most other people by another alias. To some, he was Wade Nichols, well-endowed star of X-rated films like Jawbreakers, Teenage Pajama Party, and Boynapped. To others, he was police chief Derek Mallory from long-running soap opera The Edge of Night. Yet to me, and lots of other people with a real soft spot for the OTT melodrama of late 70s disco, Posa will live forever as the one and only Dennis Parker. So he released one album under the name of Dennis Parker, which I think is called Like an Eagle. And this was, like, I guess, the, the most stratospheric cut on there, or at least certainly one of. 
And yeah. a lot of people uh, have just taken to this like crazy. I mean, there is that wonderful kind of soaring thing about it, but there is also, yeah, there is without question that edge of serious melancholy. To quote again from this Vice article, uh, Vice article, the dark side of disco has always been glaring at the dance floor, glaring from underneath a novelty wig, sadness refracted and reflected by the ever-spinning mirror ball that hangs above the amassed crowd like a portent of doom. Eventually, the lights have to go up, the dancers have to dissipate into the night, and the ball has to stop its previously ceaseless rotations. The party ends and life crashes into view, and every great dramatic disco record never shies away from that. Um, It is this navigation between dream and reality which makes disco so thrilling, even today, and so important. Disco, be it chic, instant funk, or some novelty knockoff churned out to nick pocket money off impressionable children, is suffused with tragedy. Heartbreak lurks around every corner. Heartbreak, of course, is a lesson everyone needs to learn, as sad as it is. This, perversely, is a positive thing, for it teaches us to appreciate that pleasure and permanence cannot co- coagulate, and instilled with that knowledge, we develop a taste for the present. Dennis Parker's music does that very same thing. So it's an emotional roller coaster is what I'm getting at here, and I just found it to be like this. Yeah. Uh, for me this week, it was a case of... I think my shortlist came down to about 10. I'm not as well versed in disco as you or Adam or many other people. The aforementioned Jangan as well. Lots of people on Twitter weighed in with some great suggestions. This was among them. And I was kind of like, okay, there was a couple which I was like, yeah, that's going in, that's going in, no question. And then there was some kind of mulling over here and there. And then I just found this one so undeniable. I kept going back to it. It made me feel good. It made me feel sad. And it made me realize the power of disco. <laughs> amazing, amazing. Yeah, I think undeniable is the right words. That's what you're looking for. I should say with my selections on that same trip that I had some help in my final top five because it was so tough. And that help came in the form of my mother, <laughs> who was around during the disco era at clubs. And I was talking to her during the week. I had a playlist fired up and I would just randomly play clips on my phone and like get her to say, was like, is this proper disco? Was this a big disco hit? And she really got into it, um, started dancing around and kept saying, that's not disco. That's disco. It became a weird, you know the way like awful people say that's disco to mean like that's cool. She was kind of saying it that way, but she was talking about actual disco. You had your hand up again. I did indeed. Yes, absolutely. And you, and you can point that out whenever. Like I said, I'm keen to learn. Uh, student of the game over here. But you did, I can't believe for one beautiful moment that you um you became the is this music guy? <laughs> is this disco? <laughs> I really, I really love disco. It's life disco. I I was thrown, I was gaslit by a Washington Post article from 1979, right? Which was by this guy, Jeffrey Himes, entitled On the Difference Between Funk and Disco. I'm not going to read any of it because it's impenetrable, but he was making this big ar- argument about how funk was more sophisticated and slower and sexier and loads of funk records were coming out that people were calling disco and it wasn't disco. So then I started like second guessing myself, which is the first rule of disco is never second guess yourself. Um, so I'll, I'll move on to my number four choice. This was decided. Um, okay, this came down to two songs, right? You'll know the act. They had to feature. I don't know if this is the song you think it's going to be from them, but this is the one that made my mother, Bernadette, go, that's disco.
Yeah, the Bee Gees, You Should Be Dancing. Um, okay, so Staying Alive is one of the greatest songs of all time, of course. It's not here because for me and my perimeters that I had to set out so I wouldn't go crazy, it's a getting ready for a night out song. It's a walking into a club song. It's not their peak like dance floor filler. Um, and this is, I think, I think this is a bit more contagious. It's more high octane. Um, it's almost like a disco manifesto. Like it's just about if you're down the dumps, just dance and everything will be fine. Like kind of like Brezzy telling you to go and exercise, but actually like a great tune. Um, and not, you know, not irritating. Uh, this was, I think, the first chair topper as um, a disco outfit. It was their first chair topper with Barry doing like that incredible, unimpeachable, unimpeachable falsetto. Um, so a lot of firsts. It was, of course, on the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack alongside a lot of their hits. And yeah, I think this is the one. This is like the the most contagious one for me. So that's my BG selection, number four. Nice. Um, how long did you stress, though, over this exact thing? Because again, as you say yourself, if you're running into the big ones here, you know, there's always the argument that the entire top five could be by the Bee Gees, you know, so it's it's pretty tricky. Yeah, it was about an hour last night. Um, <laughs> yeah. This, I think what swung it for me shoes, with this was, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the shoes kind of uh, guided me as ever. Um, Stephen Stills added percussion on this track. Um, he was doing an album for with Neil Young and he was just like passing the studio and he heard this and he's like, hold on, get me involved. So I think that's all for me. You made your mother proud, Craig. Not for the first time. Thanks for Not that. for the last time. <laughs> As the rules of disco continue, uh, I gotta feel like most disco songs, or at least the beloved ones, are like long. You know, like you're getting into probably like 8, 10, 12 minute territory, depending on whatever mix you've got. I'm sure Adam has a fucking like wardrobe full of vinyl here to this effect. <laughs> but here's the thing. This track, for me, is only... Um, three minutes, not even three minutes. It's like two minutes, 58 seconds. And so that, that's kind of controversial, but I just feel like, again, the word undeniable has been used. Adam, you're up. Don't you know that it's time to get on board and let this train keep on in 1958 and still active today they put out an yes. album last year it's the ojs this is love train of course and uh i feel like some people talk about it as like the first disco hit i think there's been some arguments to that effect um yeah hit single of course uh, released in 1972 reached number one the billboard hot 100 biggest hit the band ever had i believe and uh, in terms of modern pop culture, I first came across it when I was watching that great TV show Justified a few years ago, and this is an incredibly like kind of annoying way to be introduced to it because like it was during a, a, a torture sequence, and this song is being played, which is <laughs> of like it was, <laughs> which is like, do we not like do we do we not hit this apex in 1992 with Reservoir Dogs, like yeah. and like the the upbeat pop chart song over a brutal torture sequence, but it was done well to be fair, and I was like, that song fucking rules. What's this? So I went and checked it out, and it was Love Train by the OJ's. I'm not the only one who thinks it's a good song. Donald Trump wanted to use it for his campaign, I believe. Uh, and as a matter of fact, in the conversation with uh, your boy Alexis Petretis last year. Um, the OJs talked about how they had to send him a cease and desist. He wanted to change the words to Trump train 
And they were like, oh my God. no, <laughs> you can't have it. I think it's also at the end of The Martian, perhaps, not Matt Damon movie, I think. Just turned 50 years of age, by the way. Ireland's Matt Damon. Happy birthday to him. And yeah, to me, this was just like, like I say, I'm not, I'm not too well versed in disco. I don't know enough about it to be like an authority figure on it. However, this song just makes me feel good, man. Like it makes me want to move. It makes me feel good. It's sunshine bottled into a song. It's incredible. I love it. I've heard it a million fucking times and I'll listen to it a million more. Yeah, um, this I did see this cropping up as like one of the first major disco songs, along with um, Rock the Boat, I believe. And like Rock the Boat, I think Love Train is one of those songs, like when you're not listening to it directly, your memory of it is maybe like like wedding after functions or like cheesy moments, or you think of it as kind of a bit novelty and lightweight. I don't know how you found it, but like when I was going back to a lot of these kind of songs that had maybe novelty hooks, the actual, you know, the production's amazing. There's actually layers of kind of emotion there. Even Rock the Boat, I was listening to it this week and it was like, it was almost like Rihanna's Umbrella or something. It's got like a novelty kind of hook, but there's real emotion there. Um, And that is real disco, Dave. All right, my number three. We're moving to the high energy side of disco. 1978, and this is a song that was also a really important part of subculture. Sylvester there uh, with You Make Me Feel Mighty Real um, singer-songwriter from LA another early passing uh, he passed from AIDS in, in the late 80s um, but a iconic figure um, you know just was a huge presence in San Francisco part of the ca- counterculture there um, when he was uh, in a bad way, um, losing his battle. He was still out there at like gay freedom parades in his wheelchair. Um, iconic figure. I didn't really know much about that um, prior to this week. Uh, he's clearly hugely charismatic and flamboyant, uh, but I just knew this incredible kind of falsetto and what an incredible song. He was known as like the queen of disco along with Donna Summer. Um, and Robert Chris Gow said of this song, I don't always see eye to eye with uh, his, his musings on music, but I think he nailed it here. He says, one of those surges of sustained stylized energy that is disco's great gift to pop music. And it feels like a surge. It's just irrepressible, pure joy builds and builds. It's got that high energy like Marauder beat, which became an important part of disco, that electric synthetic um, rhythm. And yeah, um, I've seen people say like it's, you know, it's even bigger than disco because it became a song of freedom for, um, you know, the the gay community, um, just the disco subculture in general. But incredible song. I love it. Absolute belter, Craig. At number three for me, Do You Believe in Miracles? No, I the middle of a sensation that's your lips And I never want to be free By my way back to reality Cause I love you I love your touch You're the very best Too much
there's more to British soul bands. So legends, hot chocolates, the new sexy thing. That song is called I Just Love What You're Doing. And a sincere thank you to my mate Steve for bringing it into my life about three or four years ago now at this day. He just sent it to me one day and I was like, I don't know, man, hot chocolate. And he was like, no, no, trust me. This song fucking rules. Uh, this song is taken from their fifth studio album, uh, which is called Going Through the Motions, <clears> which, listen, if there are any bands or artists listening to us right now, take our <laughs> advice. Never ever call a song or an album or anything something that like a snarky reviewer might use against you. It's just never a good idea. Boning it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no matter how good it is, just like just don't 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 plant the seed of doubt straight away, you know. Um, but yeah, so there's not actually a lot of literature out there about this album or this song. It seems like it wasn't too big of a deal for them. Um, and interestingly enough, kind of following on from what you were saying with the idea of Marauder as an influence. Uh, one of the reviews I did find on this album was from All Music about four years ago, saying some people think of Hot Chocolate as a Euro disco band, but most of their recordings can't be lumped in with the Euro disco of the Silver Convention, Cerrone, or Giorgio Moroder. Hot Chocolate was primarily a soul and funk band, although the Londoners, Londoners did not hesitate to incorporate elements of pop rock, Afro-Caribbean music. Um, it does say that like this time Euro disco style is dominant. It seems like Hot Chocolate pivoted to try and be more, I guess, to capture that trend a little bit and maybe like ascend themselves. Uh, Marauder style synthesizers are order of the day here. Um, this review, which was kind of somewhere in the middle, said that thankfully most of the material has heart at the very least of it. Um, it said back in the late 1970s, the debt to disco crowd frequently described disco as quote mindless boogie, and it wasn't mm. a compliment. On the surface, mindless boogie might seem like a typically escape as Euro Disco Number, that is, of course, one of the song titles. Um, but it's a bit of a gem with a sociopolitical message, it mentions. Uh, overall, it's um, an album that they can be proud of. However, um, I did find a very much more succinct review on the Album of the Year website that one user wrote five years ago, saying, quote, Vulgar disco, badly designed and brutally executed. I don't know what he's talking about, mate. That chorus is fucking incredible. It's great. And yeah, th- this is another example of... Uh- a song and an act that are perhaps unfairly maligned quite a bit and people don't quite understand the the quality of the music unless they experience it fully. But yeah, it seems like Disco was a haven for um, one-hit wonders, bands that were like completely boxed off and just disappeared uh, or actually weirdly like artists that hadn't had a hit in years like they might have had a few hits in like the 50s and then they're like oh disco's a thing we can create a hit like this and it, it reminds me of like the carefree days of like early rock and roll like I, just you know there was no um, barrier to entry anyone could get involved just give us a hit that's all we want um i saw a thing this week that said you've been told your whole life that disco is bad you've known your whole life that that's a lie um and further evidence of that is my number two let's do it Houston there with Don't Leave Me This Way, which occupies a similar space to um, Gloria Gaynor's I Will Survive, I think, but it hasn't turned into like a caricature of itself just from um, too much exposure for me. Uh, I think it's great. It seems to combine like 
uh, Yvonne Elliman's like, if I can't have you, that disco ballad style with a chorus that is, you know, like Le Freak, maybe by Chic, except somehow better. There's a bit more of a payoff for me anyway. What it does really well also is that like lush, dreamy, like slow and melodramatic intro with like a pining vocal and sweeping strings and it dawned on me that the reason so many disco classics have that is it gives you a signal that this song has now started but it gives you time to get to the dance floor uh just as the 4-4 heavy beat arrives and the payoff is incredible on this one i think it's executed perfectly it's great it was originally um it's a, it's a cover actually of like a Her- harold melvin song uh, i'm not familiar with the original but it was assigned to diana ross who had a number of huge disco hits herself obviously um went to Telma houston and she did a bang up job yeah it's all about the build and release right so i, I guess yeah, this week when you're, when you're when you're putting through i guess you probably had a big playlist going um do you find like I get pretty impatient. Like I, I tend to be like, I know it's, it's, it's like a post rock song, you know, it's the same kind of structure in a way where it's like big, long build, you know, tension, 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 and incredible payoff. But like, I think with disco, there's something more kind of like, almost like it's very hard to not just skip forward by 30 seconds. Granted, I might be betraying the spirit of disco, Craig, but you know, <laughs> I need that. I need that fucking payoff. I need that crescendo. I need that, that incredible dopamine rush. Or are you able to just sit there and be like, no, no, it's coming. I've got my guided meditation practice. I know I know where we're going. <laughs> I think it's the problem we were talking about with Roisin Machine, where it's like if you're in front of the laptop, if you've got the Spotify playlist up, it's, you know, it's not really the frame of mind. Um, but the greater songs overcome that, I think. Um, yeah. Uh, hey, Craig. What, um... Dave. <laughs> <laughs> so, so... That Zoom delay, man. <laughs> oh, I should never take a week off again. He just lose it. Um, <laughs> what disco classic did Placebo cover? That's right, it's this one. All three of us basically having conniptions uh, there to the sound of Daddy Cool by Boney M. Yeah, a bit of a predictable choice, perhaps. But again, you throw it on, you're like, yeah, well, look, what could possibly compete with this? This is just too, too good. Now, um, I have been singing this one all wrong for years, Craig. Maybe you're the same. I don't know. I always thought the line was, what about Daddy Cool? It isn't. It's wild about Daddy Cool. And that's my mind. I did not know well, that. Yeah, I know. All this time, man. All this time I've been disrespecting a classic, a song recorded in uh, 1976, huge hit, covered all over the world, like I say, by Placebo. Placebo cover's pretty fun, by the way. Um, And this one also was, in fact, uh, I guess, conceived as a novelty record. You mentioned it earlier on, you were talking about the idea of there being something kind of a little bit extra, I don't know, a bit of, a bit of, a bit of extra kind of special sauce in these things, and you're like, well, yeah. hang on a minute. But yeah, so Daddy Cool, uh, according to what I've read today, was a novelty gimmick record with an unusual percussive intro by producer Frank Farian doing rhythmic tick-tick-ticks and playing on his teeth with a pencil, which is fucking... Listen back to it now with that knowledge, I'm like, <laughs> oh, God. Uh, he also sang all male voice parts, um, and his characteristic deep voice saying she's crazy like a fool, answered by the bright voices of Liz Mitchell and Marcia Barrett. 
uh, wild about daddy cool like i say lioness heard by listeners and so on um it breaks down to spoken word passage yada 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 but here's the interesting thing right um there was this whole thing about like the fact that it wasn't even supposed to be a lead single i think um hansa records wanted boney m's cover of bob marley's no woman no cry as the a side of the single but the aforementioned okay. Farian, seeing that his own song was, quote, the clear winner when testing both tracks in his discotheque, managed to persuade the record company to have it his way, and history was made. <laughs> it's such a good song. Uh, yeah, I really, really like that one. Okay, my number one. Um, we talked a good bit about disco welcoming people of every ilk, um, even folk from Birmingham. This is one of the best songs about a commute from Birmingham to London ever. Electric Light Orchestra there, uh, the band Wings could have been, with Last Train to London, taken from Discovery, a huge album that I think the band called Disco Very, because they were hilarious, and it was them going extremely disco, um, which a lot of rock bands did in the 70s, uh, a lot of acts in general, just because it was such a huge genre. Obviously, you had the Rolling Stones miss you. I think this is like pure disco, though, so it deserves inclusion for sure. And they'd already been kind of playing around with introducing strings in a very disco way on earlier hits like Evil Woman. But this was just, yeah, the, the backbone of this entire song is that great syncopated bass. Um, it's since um, playing it, I think. Um, but it's, it's just, it's great. You've got the opening sirens going. Uh, you've got the whole song being about nights out, trying to conjure up some magic. And I think this does it. It's kind of a wistful listen now because it's, you know, we're all locked in our houses. But yeah, I wouldn't be the world's biggest ELO fan, but this has always done it for me. It's like minimal on the prog elements, pop for sure, but just that incessant disco beat. It suits them tremendously well. He ain't lying, folks. I remember uh, fond memories of the hot press office on a Friday as we were clocking <laughs> off for the weekend, about to go to the pub, and you'd fucking blare this like quite often, I would yeah. say. And it was just like... It's a great clocking off song. I remember once being like, really? And then at the end of it, I was like, well, yes, really. <laughs> really? <laughs> really? Play it again. Uh, yeah, no, it, it has that kind of sense of <laughs> evocative menace. Sorry, Sonic Architect Adam is like, uh, is having a fit in the corner, such as this, is this disco vibrance that has in fact overtaken the show. Great choice, man. Uh, you could have had five more. I could have had five more. I know. For my I number know. one this week, right? What I've done here is, Craig, is I've reverted to classic Dave and I've cheated a bit. And I've, I'm going modern. I'm going post-disco. Disco throwback. Nice. An incredible song from 2008. One of the most harrowing pieces of music you're ever likely to hear. And it's fucking exceptional. Adam, do me the honour.
Yes, that is Blind by Hercules and Love Affair, a dance music project conceived and created by American DJ Andy Butler in 2004. They would eventually sign to DFA, and this was the lead-off single, I believe. Uh, that vocalist, of course, is Anna Nee, who at the time was Anthony Hegarty. And I remember uh, there's an interview with, with uh, Butler around that time talking about putting this song together, putting the group together. Um, and Because it is a very collaborative kind of group, very inclusive outfit that they had going. Uh, Butler says that, like, I became friends with Anthony shortly after graduating from college. We met through mutual friends that were also artists. I was a big fan and wanted to help him out in whatever way I could. For a while, I was doing merchandise for him on tour. I'd play music that I was writing. One day, I just came in with a poem. I asked him if he'd be interested in singing the song. He was interested. And so we went in two days later and recorded Blind. It happened five years ago, casually, just out of this friendship. We had many, many long, serious nights conversing about art and music and disco and dance music. Anthony is a very passionate person and knew how passionate I was. And I think that he was interested in participating because of that as well. As noted, that was Anthony Hegarty at the time. Anthony now these days, of course, one of the most singular voices in music. Like, um, you know, I know, like I said that about Roshi Murphy, I know that maybe I'm, I'm, I'm guilty of overusing the word singular and unique, but I mean, like, Anthony is next level. This song is next level. Mm-hmm. It's incredible. It manages to be like, I think ferociously modern and forward thinking and just exciting while also obviously paying tribute to all those disco heroes that came before. I remember the first time I heard it. 2008 for me was actually a very big year for me in terms of getting serious about music and just kind of like trying harder to find more music than I was hearing on the radio or just on music channels or whatever. And Blind was one of the big discoveries for me that year. And it's... I think 12 years on, I think it's as totemic and titanic as it ever has been. It's fucking amazing. Yeah, I love this song. And I started the segment talking about the very specific period of time that disco supposedly existed in. But of course, it's such a like simple idea, uh, both musically, you know, it's just that incessant beat really um, with some other hallmarks, but also the kind of fact that it's like anyone can do it. It's about inclusivity and, you know, celebrating differences and, you know, pick-me-ups delivered by people that have been through a lot um, and that actually know what they're talking about and carry on with joy in their hearts. And I think this completely encapsulates all of that and it proves that disco is, of course, immortal. Great pick, Dave. And we should all carry on with joy in our hearts, <laughs> listeners, as we move into Level five. No, I'm kidding. There's been no announcement from the government. We're all just in this weird... <laughs> that won't be disco. <laughs> weird... That will most strictly not be disco. Uh, this episode of No Encore, however, was engineered by our sonic architect and supreme disco enthusiast, Adam Shanahan. Oh, yeah. I hope... I need his playlist. <laughs> oh, I'll send it on. Yeah, it's got lots of good stuff on oh, it, cool. in fairness. You know, it's it's proper, proper stuff. Like, I think he said to me... Um, oh, yeah, no, actually, yeah, hang on. That's a really good Patreon. idea. Patreon. Let's do it. Next week's playlist on Patreon... We'll throw out Adam's playlist. Uh, maybe get a few words off you, possibly. Um, I think it was last week when I said, you know, and it was very throwaway. I was like, oh, you picked a hell of a week to take off, man. And that's when Adam did his U-turn. <laughs> but I think at one stage I was like, Jesus, that was enthusiastic. And he was like, Dave, you don't understand. I am disco. <laughs> I am disco. <laughs> okay. Remember Casey from Casey and the Sunshine Band? That was me. I'm Casey. <laughs> <laughs> okay. uh, we're back. How's it going? You happy? This goes my life. I really enjoy that. <laughs> Says Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Says me through him. Yeah, that was great. I'm learning. 
I'm gonna go listen to some. Glad to have you back, Dave. Yeah, it's, it's great. So it's, it's great to be so here, man. It's great to be here. As noted, uh, <laughs> don't forget Alvaretti track by track in your podcast feeds. Pillow Queens yes. track by track in your podcast feed. Next week, Denise Chyla and Merley talking Go Bravely. That lands next Wednesday. It's Patreon.com/slash No Encore if you want to help support the show, get access to playlists and all that kind of jazz. There's also a new No Popcorn coming soon. Uh, I'll try and get that out in the next couple of weeks. Lots happening. We're back next week. My name is Dave Hanratty. This has been No Encore. There will be No Encore. Stay safe. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. Celebrate this July 4th with a special presentation of A Capital Fourth. Join your host, Vanessa Williams, with performances from Sea to Shining Sea, starring Jimmy Buffett, Gladys Knight, Alan Jackson, Cynthia Erivo, Pentatonix, Renee Fleming, Train, Jennifer Nettles, Mickey Guyton, Jimmy Allen, Ali'i Cravalho, Laura Osnes, Ali Stroker, and the greatest live fireworks display in the USA. It's A Capital Fourth, sponsored by the Boeing Company and American Airlines, Sunday, July 4th, 8, 7 Central, only on PBS. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.